0: I want to say Merry Christmas to you. I've been still listening to Christmas carols. Um, I was listening to O Holy Night this morning, and um, that's not going to change. I love Christmas carols, and um, so. But hey, it's time to get into the message, and you know we're going to start with a proverb. So this is proverb, by the way, causes a lot of people some real theology problems. Let's read it. Proverbs six, verses sixteen to nineteen. These six things the Lord hates. Pause. Time out. Wait a minute, God is love. How can love and hate exist from the same throne? Great theological question. You ought to look into it. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Now listen. Um, this is a theological nightmare for people who want to not have the word hate in their lexicon. And uh, it's, uh, I love this proverb because it stretches me, and I know God loves, but it, apparently he also hates. Isn't that amazing? And there's something else in there worth studying. And I just mentioned this, and then we'll move on in the message today. There are six things that the, that the word Lord hates, and then the seventh is a person. Do you catch that? It's one who does something. So um, anyway, Proverbs, love the book of Proverbs. Let's pray before we get into the message. God, as we spend time in your word, the only thing that you would elevate even above your name, your word, we make ourselves available, God, for, um, for you to touch our hearts. So Lord, where we discuss your word and where we understand your word, so be it. And if whatever chaff might happen in the next few minutes, let it blow away in the wind. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're um, in uh, part three of a series that I start, started back in November in the book of 1 Peter. And um, f- the book of 1 Peter is a very short book written by Peter, right? Good, good guess. Um, and um, it's uh, really a, a book that talks about Christians being different in the world different than the world. And uh, the first couple of messages, I'm not going to re-preach them, I'll just tell you, we talked about having different values in the world. We talked about journeying journeying through trials of life differently than the world would journey through. Today, we're in a different place. And um, I wonder if you realize that um, God is calling you to something different. We're going to talk about that today. He's calling you. Got to set you apart, and it involves something probably a little bit different than you think. As I was preparing for today's message, I was rereading through the, um, the, the, the book again, 1 Peter, and I've read it lots of times, and sometimes it's hard to reread something again because your mind can start thinking about other things and football and you know, all that kind of stuff, right? And, and, but I'm rereading it and rereading it, and um, there's a, 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 a word that in different forms shows up over and over and over again. It's the word call or called, or calling over and over again through this book. It just keeps, it's this common thread. And I'm a guy who looks for threads. If you talk to the people who are around me, I'm always looking for where's the theme, where's the thread that's woven through this? Because sometimes when you can find that thread, you'll know what God's up to or get at least a better idea. And um, so I look for threads and I see this called, calling, call, call over and over and over again. And here's the thing about being called. When you know that you've been chosen, do you ever remember being picked to be on the team? You know, you play in the playground, you're going to have kickball, and they picked you. Anybody ever get picked? Nobody, come on, we'll nod your heads, at least patronize me. Okay, so, but when you know you've been chosen or picked, there's something that happens inside of you that kind of maybe elevates just a little bit. I was trying to think of times that I was chosen. Um, I, one of them was when, between fifth and sixth grade, I was chosen to be the captain of the school safety patrol. Now, the year before, the year before, I had been a mere patrolman, okay, with a silver badge, and I used to do my patrol duties, which in those days involved, you actually walked into the middle of the street, and you had this little steel flag holder and a flag that said stop or something, and you held it across, you had the sash, right? Any any former safety patrol members? (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay, all right. Well, I wonder, okay, anyway, so... um, Back in the day, we were actually able and smart enough to walk and stand on the crosswalk without actually getting hit by a car, and we didn't have to have an adult there. So it was a pretty big deal. You know, we'd actually we'd we would hold the kids at the side and then when it was safe, okay, I say it's safe. You'd walk out midway and you'd stand there. You know, adults would obey you. It was a pretty big deal in the fifth grade. And um, for some reason, I think it was because I had been such an outstanding patrolman. The first year, they decided to elevate me not to lieutenant, but all the way to the top, captain. I'm sure it had nothing to do with the fact that my dad was a teacher in the school. (laughs) Anyway, it was just kind of the deal. And because I was the captain, I had my own badge of authority. (laughs) So anybody would know, I was indeed the captain of the school patrol. And eh, you know, so they gave you what's the captain, the captain, I don't know, he gets a blue badge instead of a red one or a, a silver one. But the but but the thing was I guess I assigned who stood at which street corner and so I had some responsibilities. But but it was it made me think I could do something more than I was doing before. I, I, I was chosen. And it was kind of a big deal in the 5th grade. And um, um you know, it was I was I was called. And I knew That on my watch, I wasn't gonna lose any patrolmen or any students, because we were gonna be safe. We were gonna do it by the book, because I was called and chosen and anointed to be the captain of the school safety patrol. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about being assigned to being chosen, it creates a sense of anticipation and and it, it makes you bolder. And I wanna show you today that you are called to something different. You are called. And when we talk about a calling and God, um, there you know people start asking questions. What, what, what am I called to do? What's God want me to do? Well, there are at least three different kinds of callings that we can see in Scripture, and we're gonna talk about the third type. So let me give you an idea. The first, the first type of calling is, I would, I would say this is the eternal call to Christ. It's an eternal call to Christ. It's, it, in fact, the Holy Spirit is, is traveling around the world, is around, present everywhere, and is doing this work everywhere in the world Winning people, wooing people, courting people into the kingdom, saying, Hey, I know your name, I know about you, and uh, and I love you. There's Jesus, there's the way. Holy Spirit's doing that, and God wants everybody to say yes. He doesn't want any single person to perish because sin kills us. The, the wages of sin are death. And so the Holy Spirit is traveling around and wants everybody to say yes to. the the invitation of grace through Jesus. And when Peter is writing about the call or the calling, he's a guy who knew what it was like to be called uh, by Jesus. There's a story in Luke um, chapter 5 where Peter has been fishing with his pals, and he'd been out all night, and the catch was exactly that. Nothing. We used to call that getting skunked, right? He was skunked all night. And this was his job. This wasn't just, hey, I'm going to go get fish. This was his livelihood, it meant no money to pay for bills. It meant all this kind of stuff It meant, you know, you're out there. And you know what? It seems to me that the only time you can catch fish, you've got to be cold and uncomfortable anyway. So he's, I don't know if that was true for him. It doesn't say so in the story. But my picture is, he's out there and it's cold and he didn't get anything. He skunked. That's a terrible night. So he's up there at the beach and doing whatever fishermen do when they go back after a day of fishing. He's cleaning his nets and... That sounds like fun, you know. Didn't catch anything. Let's clean the nets from the nothing that we didn't catch. And um, up walks this guy, Jesus. And um, some other things transpire. And then Jesus says to him, put your nets on the other side of the boat. Like, that'll make a difference. I'm sure at that point, Peter is thinking, hey, listen. You're a preacher. You preach. I'm a fisherman. I know better. I'm sure that's what was at least his initial thoughts. I don't know, but I think it was. Nevertheless, he saw something about this Jesus guy, and so he says, okay. So he obeys him, puts the nets in that side, and you can read the story. Um, The nets get so full of fish, they start to burst. He calls his pals ashore, Come on, get out there. Get another boat out there. They're bursting. How are we gonna do with all this? You and I say fish. I'm sure he's thinking, what are we gonna do with all this gold, right? Because he's a commercial fisherman, and there's a lot of fish. It's a lot of money. And then he starts thinking about this. Wait a second. There was no fish all night. Now there's fish because this guy says to put him on the other side of the boat. This is no ordinary man. This is a holy man. And now Peter's heart properly locks in and, and realizes what's going on. And he says, he says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. You don't want anything to do with me. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says to him, something along the lines of from now on, you're gonna come with me and you're gonna catch men and not fish. And that was his calling. He knew about calling and that was pretty spectacular. And verse here's what it says in verse 11 of that passage. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. What that scripture just tells us is they got all those fish in the boat and the nets and the boats, all their investment, their business, they got to the beach and walked away from it. I'm not telling you to walk away from your boat by the way. That's got to come from God. But what I'm saying is they were so touched by what had happened, they got to shore and basically walked away from the windfall. What an amazing thing to have that kind of a call and they followed Jesus. Jesus called Peter out of where he had been to become a follower. He called him out of the lifestyle, the way of thinking, the way of reacting, the way of of responding to the people around. He called him out of that to be a follower. And uh, so Peter, he very clearly understood and knew that when you have been called, you, you leave your own desires and you devote your life and you follow Jesus. That's the eternal call to Christ that we're talking about. You stop being this person who doesn't know God to becoming somebody completely. That's the eternal call. The second type of call that you'll see in the scripture is a temporary call to an assignment. Um, you know, I was called to be the captain of the school safety patrol. I mean, that's a pretty stupid analogy there, but it's an example of being called. You might feel a call to a particular role in life. Maybe you have a sense that you're supposed to study a certain topic when you're in college, um, or you're called to be a witness, like you're supposed to be. You know, when you when you navigate around your community, you're supposed to be something good. And or or maybe you feel a call to go on a mission trip to some specific part of the world of the Lord to prevail upon you, and um, you're supposed to make a difference. That's a temporary call to an assignment. What I want to talk to you about today, though, is a call that by many people is completely misunderstood. And this, there's something that our God is calling you and me to if you're a follower of Christ. I'm talking to Christians here now. And this is a daily call to live a different standard. God calls you to live a different standard. Our challenge is, is that when we start thinking of a calling, we tend to think of what we do. What am I supposed to do? But God starts with the who before he gets to the Do. That's not me, I picked that up from another preacher. He, sta- he starts with the who before he gets to the do. Do you understand that? That, that God is more concerned with who you are before he is ever concerned with what you do. He really wants to know who you are before he, he does that. And it, it, because if the who isn't right, you're never gonna get the do right either. <laughs> Gotta be careful with the word do. It has a lot of uses in our language, doesn't it? Like hairdo. You're thinking of a different do. That's not what I'm talking about. Did I just say that? (laughs) Okay. God's concerned with our motives. He's concerned with integrity. He's concerned with our heart. He's concerned with the who. And the who leads to the do anyway. That's why when you grasp who you are, you're going to know what to do. When you get a hold of who you are in Christ, you're going to already know what to do. Peter's writing to these first century believers and they were being intensely pressured to forget to abandon everything they they who they were in Christ. They were they were under this pressure because they were so extremely hated. Now, we talked about that a couple of messages ago. Um, we talked about the kind of persecution the first century Christians were under. And um, they, they were facing terrible, terrible persecution. And, and their culture just had no idea, really, about the Christian faith. They really didn't understand what was going on. And um, they, 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 they believed some things about Christians. And I'll tell you what they are. It's gonna, uh, you're going to go, oh, sure. But it's true. This is what they thought about Christians. They thought they were superstitious, incestuous, Cannibals. Okay? Superstitious, incestuous cannibals. Here's why they here they came with it. They they thought they were superstitious because there were these healings and miracles that would go on. Therefore, they were mystical. There must have been some sort of magician, and Jesus was the master magician. That was the perception, the, the the street speak perception of what a Christian was. They thought they were incestuous because Christians had what they called love feasts or agape feasts. It was basically a big meal where all of the gab- uh, brothers and sisters gathered for a meal, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ. But the outside world would go, oh, you're having a love feast with your brothers and your sisters. And they saw, they, they decided to start from, the, from a debased viewpoint and project that onto Christians. So they thought they were incestuous. And then the, this cannibalism thing. And the cannibalism thing came from the words of our Savior who said, take, eat, this is my body. <laughs> this is my blood. Consume it like we did today. Oh, What? You know it's kind of like the world doesn't get that, and you may know people who know about communion and don't get it and think you're just a little bit weird for doing it and it's not because they're evil people for thinking that they just don't get it they just don't understand they don't understand what's going on so um in a world to in 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 that world um that hates Jesus' followers and wants them dead and completely misunderstands them, Peter's about to tell those people what they're called to do, and before that, he reminds them actually of who they are. And if you want to know what you're called to do, you've got to start with an understanding of who you are. Kind of pounding that nail to get it all the way down in understanding who you are. And I want you too, you and me, to understand exactly who you are, and we're gonna see that described. As Peter describes it to these first century Christians, it's absolutely applicable to you and me today. So who are you? Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, starting in verse nine. But you, say me, me. Oh, that was way lame. Say me, me. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, A holy nation, his, God's own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For those of you who are followers of Christ, what I want you to understand is this you have been chosen by God to be in his family, you're a royal priest. Now this was a really big deal to these first century Christians and it needs to be a big deal to us because they had a tremendous respect for the priesthood. They really did. It was a very, very high high regard. And now the the Lord actually calls them to this priesthood of believers. That's the word he uses. He's saying you're actually ministers of God even though you haven't been formally trained they're, he's telling these people, they're filled with the exact same spirit that, that, with which that spirit, the power to raise Christ from the dead. That's the spirit that they're filled with. And they're called to make a difference in this world. And he f- goes on and Peter tells them, they're not alone. You're gonna be different, but you're gonna be different together. They're part of this holy nation, this kingdom of God. And they're now a part of something bigger and broader and grander than they were before. And, and they're people belonging to God. And since they belong to God, They're under God's care. They're under God's protection, his goodness. And that's who they are. And Peter goes on to say, he he says, you know, you are God's, his own special people. And as a result of that, that you may proclaim the praises of him. The Holy Spirit's declaring that you and I can show other people the goodness of God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called. We've been chosen. We've been invited. We're no longer in the darkness. We're in the light. Our lives have been transformed. We're not what we were. The old is gone, and, 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 and we're a new creation. We've been transformed. That's what I heard Pastor Eric say. We're a new creation. Transformed by the love of Jesus. We've been set apart. We've been called. And I don't know if you know this about the engineering God has in his plan for us, but Christ's bride is the church, right? The church is engineered to be this combination of a hospital and a barracks, My description, not necessarily in the word, but that's how I see it. That's a hospital and a barracks. God is constantly wanting to heal up the brokenness in us and constantly wanting to grow up the immaturities in us. By the way, if I can take just a minute for a little short rabbit trail, just a little tiny baby one, immaturity is not a sin. Okay? So don't be afraid to own your immaturity. And don't view the immaturity in others as sinfulness or as intentional sinfulness. Immaturity is a place that God wants to help us grow. That's what the hospital is all about. The other part is this barracks, and, and, and that, that's the commission. You know, that's the boots on the ground, so to speak, to share God's goodness. That's the role of going out of the barracks, is to share the goodness of God. And you and I are called by the Lord to get out there and share that goodness. It's... Um, It's not the Lord's plan for anybody to take up permanent residence in the hospital. Would you agree with that? So if you're in the hospital, that's what you're supposed to be. Heal up, then get over to the barracks. Get over there. (laughs) So now here's how life looks to the one who has moved from the hospital side to the barracks. In, In today's skeptical world, okay, um, where the world doesn't typically call Christians superstitious, incestuous, um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't call us that, um, cannibals. But it, instead, our world would look at Christians, followers of Christ, and say that we are self-righteous, judgmental, intolerant bigots. You hear that punch I put on? My, bigots! <laughs> but that's what the world would say about, Right? Self-righteous, intolerant, judgmental bigots. That's kind of what the world would call Christians. That's the world we live in. That's the world with which we have to wrestle as we try to go out out of the barracks. And and here's the thing. Tragically, there are some, I would say, so-called Christians who have earned those titles. Maybe you've encountered some of them, or maybe you have encountered the residue of some of them. And I, I would... I would argue, you know, not, not specifically in every case, but some of the people that, that go around spewing hate and bigotry in the name of Christ are driven demonically because none of that has its birth in heaven. It's, 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 it's an affront to God. It's, it's unacceptable. It's a sin against God. And so, but you see it done all the time. So um, th- this is the image that you and I have to overcome as we go out and try to do that. And Peter's, Peter's going to say the same thing to those very first, um, first, same first century Christians that, that he says to us, that this is your daily calling to represent Jesus to a skeptical world. It's your daily calling, every day. Now, if you know what you're called to do, Peter gets right into that in 1 uh, Peter 2, verses 11. He says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners... So here we see it again. The world is not your place. It's not where you're from. It's, you're, 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 you're not from here. You, you follow a different standard. He says, I warn you to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior and will give honor to God when he judges the world. Notice this. He, Peter doesn't start with, hey, First, got to convince them to believe like you believe. (laughs) Instead, he says, we're going to show them what we believe by how we behave. We're going to live honorably. Now, listen, I believe with all my heart that there are times that we do need to start with the name of Christ. Sometimes that's what we're supposed to do. But other times, maybe very often, We have to earn credibility with people with love and with respect and with grace before we ever will have the opportunity by them to be heard. We need to show people um, what we believe by how we behave. That somehow builds a bridge sometimes to a skeptical heart and then we can share with them the love of Jesus. Jesus taught the very same same thing um, in Matthew 5 and these are the words of Jesus. I love this passage. Verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's good then for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Okay, that always challenges me because if I'm the salt of the earth and Jesus is talking about there's a condition that I can become as his follower where I'm good for nothing except to be trampled underfoot. I don't want to go there. Verse 14, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Why would he call us a light and then want us to turn the light off? Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See your good works, not suspect your good works, not infer your good works. They want, he's, Jesus says they have to see your good works. And also notice that, that, that neither Jesus nor Peter on this topic is telling us that we got to always be defensive. There's a time and a place to defend the gospel, but even then, that fight is not ours to wage. Right? That's the work of the Spirit. I, I I can remember a time um, (laughs) where, you know, (laughs) my temperament, I can, I can get up in your grill, okay. Uh, That's down in me. I don't want to get up in anybody's grill, but you start talking about me or mine or my God or my family, and I wouldn't get up in your grill. You know, that's kind of a thing. Uh, It's terrible. Properly channeled, it's a good thing. Improperly channeled, channeled, it's terrible. So there was a place, a time um, in my prior ministry life at Living Water, that church up in Olympia, where we were having dealings with the city of Olympia. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, so there were some accusations made uh, against the church by the city staff that um, went beyond our behavior towards our character. And I, I, for some reason, I was the one on the church staff whom the Lord had said, well, you, this is yours to deal with, Terry. And um, I think the Lord just wanted to refine me. Anyway, I found myself... In multiple times in in public meetings with the city of Olympia, and um, for some reason, eventually the newspaper decided this would be fun to watch, and um, and then the local it was on the local TV, and um. <laughs> so I'm at this hearing, and um, there's we're we're trying to own win the right to continue parking cars in our own parking lot, and we had had a parking lot. there's a long story but we had this parking lot that had been developed eight or nine years earlier and one day city staff showed up and said you can't park there that's illegal and so we got into this row this how are we going to solve this and so now we're going through hearings and now we're in a public hearing and there are people opposing us parking cars in the parking lot I don't get it but they were and they weren't really against parking cars in parking lots; they were against something different but there's this political thing going on and I'm the guy that's got to represent the church not doing too good. And so I'm there at this meeting and we had an attorney who was pretty smart. I don't think that he, he had a relationship with Jesus that yeah. we would understand it, but, um, but he was a smart guy and he had experience in this topic. So we hired him because he was a smart guy in this topic. And one of the things he said to me, I'll, I will never forget this. He says, to, he says to me, Terry, never pick a fight with someone who buys ink by the barrel and paper by the ton okay? Because no matter what you do in a one-on-one argument with them, they're going to put their side out uh, to the whole city on the newspaper, okay? And uh, so I found myself... <laughs> anyway, so he's a smart guy. So we're, we're in this hearing um, trying to say we're good people. We just want to park cars here and go to church. Leave us alone. We're not hurting anybody, you just gotta know us better. We're nice people. That's what we're trying to do, right? Defend ourselves. All the stuff I told you doesn't work um, a few minutes ago. That's what's in my heart. And this guy stands up, comes in, and anybody can, can bring any information to a hearing like this, and he comes up there and he's, he's saying that we shouldn't be trusted and there's areas that are already legal to park in, but we're not even honoring it there. And he shows this photograph of the church grounds, and here's this van parked in a very clear, an area that very clearly you're not supposed to park It was driven up over the parking bumpers and was sitting in, in a very clearly, you shouldn't park your spot. Now, he springs this. This is like a Perry Mason moment. Okay, He springs it, and I'm like, Wait, what? where'd that photo come from? I recognize the spot, but how could there possibly be a van there? That's not us. And he goes on to say, see, See this? It's proof. They won't cooperate with you. You, need to, you just need to squeeze their neck and not let them... I'm getting mad again right now. This was 15 years ago. <laughs> I mean, and, 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 and he says, you not only can't trust them, they, have, they lack integrity. In them. I'm telling you right now, if you could picture me right now, here's your picture. Look at your stovetop, and there's that red coil, that, that coil... <laughs> Okay, on top of that, it's not black and hot. It's not even red anymore. It's gone past red and it's white and it's trembling and there's cracks forming it. And on top of that is a teapot, okay? And, on, and that teapot's got water and that water is going super critical and it's going on the top of the burner. That's me. <laughs> Can you tell it? I look over at my attorney. They don't fight with people who buy ink by the barrel guy. I look at him and he looks at me like, don't and I'm going, shiny thing, I'm going to bite it just like a fish in the ocean, and they're going to reel on me. I just sat there, just didn't do anything. Oh, man. (laughs) I need recovery. So here's the best part of the story. Okay, hearing ends, and I'm just letting the Holy Spirit do his thing, and in me, as well as in the people, and I'm trying to be loving, and I'm thinking, that's so unrighteous. It was a, I don't know what the deal was. I, took a co- I, took, I, I got a copy of the evidence, the, you know. And so I'm looking at that picture, and I'm thinking, okay. And now I'm mad at the guy. I'm mad at that man. Find out his name, and I find out where he lives. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could tell you I was being godly to go park in front of his house and pray for him. I wasn't doing anything sinister. I just was wanted to see where the guy lived. I wanted to think. I want to know what's the, why. Why is this guy attacking us? He didn't even live by the church. This is two days after the hearing. I drive to his house, and what do I see? The van in the picture is parked in his driveway. <laughs> okay. I forgive that guy. He's got his own issues that are way bigger than where Carth Park. I really pray for them. I've prayed for him and I really don't have issues with him. And I see his name occasionally in the newspaper. He's a political activist and he's appointed by different things to the city. He's a public figure there now. And I'm thinking, okay, bless him, Lord. Just worm your way right into that heart. He needs you and I need you just like he does. This is your work to do, God. And here's the thing defending the gospel isn't always our war to wage when you get out there. Listen to this Deuteronomy 32. The Lord is your mighty defender, perfect and just in all his ways. Your faithful, your God is faithful and true. He does what is right and fair. The church goes on with and without the parking spots. (laughs) Instead of trying to defend, or even to intellectually persuade people, we just continue to say, this is who we are. This this is what we're called to do. We're just gonna lead with irrational generosity because we truly believe it's more blessed to give than to receive, Acts 20. We we, we believe we're, we're not spiritual consumers, we're spiritual contributors. The church doesn't exist for me, the church exists for the world. We're going to be salt and light as Jesus' followers because we're going to stand, uh, we're going to talk about what we are for, not about what we're against. And the best defense, I think, many times is really a good, strong offense. Peter says, Live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then he says in, in verse 15, It is God's will. What's God's will for your life? Here it is. It's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Where was this scripture when I was in the hearing? (laughs) I needed it then. It's the way we live. it's, It's not what we post on social media and say. It's the way we live that silences the talk of people who just simply just, they just don't know any better. So what's our strategy? Just confidently, boldly, share The love of Jesus. Be the love of Jesus. Exhibit the love of Jesus. Love irrationally. Irrationally. Give extravagantly. Serve people faithfully. And do it over and over and over again. We're not going to reach everybody doing that. But we're going to reach some. We will reach some. Peter goes on to say what we're called to do in verse 21. For God called you... To do good, that's your calling. To do good, even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you. Here's what I hope you're going to understand from this passage. There are going to be times when you do good and you're going to suffer for it. You will. The Christians that Peter was writing to would suffer in ways that go way beyond our cultural experience um, I mean, you may not get the promotion that you deserve because you're standing boldly for Jesus. And, and you may not get invited to the party with, that you want to go to because you're standing boldly for Jesus. Other students in your school might make fun of you because you're standing for Jesus. But you continue to live with the love of Jesus because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And Peter goes on in that passage and he says, you know, Jesus is your example and you gotta follow his steps. Jesus was this loving, he was gentle, he was kind, he was full of grace. He was never arrogant. He was never condescending. he's never rude. He was never proud. He was never defensive. He's just the sinless son of God who loved the unlovable and he showed grace to people who didn't deserve it. People who, you know, were offensive. And this is how Peter describes him. And you can just feel the power of these words here as Peter's talking about this. This is really challenging to me. He says about Jesus, he says, verse 22, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what's right. By his wounds, you are healed. There is the hospital. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now, as you leave the barracks, you've turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. This is our savior. This is our Lord, the son of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus is the one who, who never, ever sinned and never ever retaliated against somebody who wronged him. You know, here's the thing there are people who are not followers of Jesus who can do good things every single day, and they do. I've met people who don't like church, they don't believe in God, that do amazing good things. My hat's off to them, more power to them. Okay. But, but Peter's word take this concept of faithfulness and obedience to a whole new level of being different. Because what's normal is you do something good to people that you like. But when somebody hurts you, you hurt them back. When, when somebody hates you, you hate them back. When somebody wrongs you, you wrong them back. When somebody is critical of you, you criticize them. But different is what Peter says we're called to do. And you don't just have this eternal call to follow Christ. And you don't just have this temporary call to an assignment. But listen to me. You have a daily call to live different. I'm just thinking of putting this together. If you're an English teacher, that might bug you that I didn't say differently. Get over it. I was intentional. I want you to, to know that Peter's calling us to live different. Now, maybe, probably, you have been wronged, for sure. You've been wounded or hurt or offended. But you're about to see, as we read through this passage, that you have this opportunity, um, because you've been called by God, to respond in a different way. And that's what 1 Peter chapter 3 gets into. What are you called to do? And this is it, starting in verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, that sounds good, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies, turn away from evil and do good, search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. God says right there, he's gonna grant you his blessing because we're called to something different. We're called. You're on call. You're on call to love someone when they're in need. You're on call to give when you see someone has a need. You're on call to show his love to to someone who just feels lonely. You're on call. The living word of God tells you who you are, what you're called to do, and where you're called to go. Anytime the devil tells you you can't, (laughs) that you're you're not important, that, that you're not good enough, that's when you say, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, devil. It says right here, God's word, I've been chosen by God. I'm a royal priest. I'm part of a holy nation. I belong to God, and God put me on an assignment. I don't just have a temporary calling, I have a daily assignment to be different. I, every day, I got to let the light of Jesus shine. I got to show the love of God. Let's pray. God, would you give us eyes to see? the needs of people and